presented by the American Petroleum Institute. Good morning, everyone. I'm Playbook co-author Ryan Lizza. It's Thursday, August 3rd. Joe Biden is still on vacation in Delaware. The House and Senate are out, and there is just one thing driving the day today, and that is Donald Trump will be arraigned this afternoon at the E. Barrett Prettyman Federal Courthouse in Washington, D.C., just steps from where the January 6th insurrection took place. Last night, barricades were put up around the courthouse. It will be quite a circus there today. And joining me to discuss the latest in the Trump DOJ indictment is senior legal affairs reporter Josh Gerstein. Good morning, Josh. Hey, Ryan. Nice to chat with you again. Today, Donald Trump will once again be arraigned, this time in Washington, D.C., at the Prettyman Federal Courthouse. Give us a rundown of what's going to happen today. I'm tempted to say history will be made, Ryan, but if history is made, it's the third time with this former president, right, being indicted <laughs> and, and being arraigned. So it seems a little less historic each time, even though it's obviously very significant. So we expect this to go down around four o'clock in the afternoon at the federal courthouse, uh, just a couple blocks away from the Capitol, where the most violent events of January 6th took place. We expect Trump to arrive there and to go in front of a federal magistrate judge to formally hear the charges against him, enter a plea. I'd be surprised if the special counsel Jack Smith's prosecutors ask for the former president to be detained or impose any unusual kind of bail conditions. They didn't try to do that when they went face to face with him down in Florida. And I would be surprised if they changed their position. But it sets in motion the wheels of the judicial system in how to digest this 45 page indictment that came out on Tuesday, charging Trump with various conspiracies related, not just the January 6th sort of violence, but more broadly, the aftermath of the 2020 presidential election. As part of a quasi defense of Trump, you have a lot of Republicans, including some of his rivals, doing a traditional anti-DC attack beyond just the weaponization of the DOJ. Now it has moved to what's going to happen in this courthouse. Let's start with the judge. Give us the big takeaways. There were probably about 25 possible judges it could have been assigned to on the wheel, as we call it. It's not really a wheel anymore. It's a computer. So depending how many are in, those are the odds. So it wasn't very likely any particular judge in that building would get this. So it went to a judge by the name of Tanya Chutkin, who is a Obama appointee who's been on the bench for almost a decade. She's handled a bunch of January 6th related cases. She's known to be a pretty tough sentencer in those cases and to give the defendants in those cases a tongue lashing. And she also oversaw a civil case where Trump was trying to block access to his presidential records by the January 6th House committee and ruled against Trump in that case. Let's talk about this argument that is that Trump cannot get a fair trial in D.C. There have been quite a few January 6th cases where the venue and the jury was an issue. Tell us about that history and what the rules of criminal procedure say about a request to change a venue because you think a jury might be tainted or unfair. In other words, is there any merit to this argument or is it just pure politics? There is some merit to the argument, but only in a much narrower way than the way it's being portrayed on TV. The broadest version of the argument that Essentially, there are very few Republicans or Trump supporters in D.C., and therefore he can't get a fair trial, and therefore the trial should be moved somewhere else. I cannot 
see that argument flying with any judge in the federal court in D.C. They've been presented with these arguments, similar arguments in connection with the January 6th cases, and oftentimes involving people that while they may not be famous, some of them have received a lot of negative publicity, you know, groups like the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers. In some instances, they've said it's unfair, but that they were white supremacist or they were attached to racist groups, which they generally tried to keep out of the trial. But those requests were uniformly turned aside by all the judges that they were presented to. And they said essentially that they're not going to use political polling to determine whether a venue is appropriate for a criminal trial. Now, they did look more closely at claims that the entire event of January 6th was so traumatic that the people of D.C. were so disturbed by that and frightened by it that that could interfere with a trial. And that led to jurors being excused during the voir dire process from serving on various juries. They didn't decide it required moving any trials out of Washington in part because this is not an event where there's just publicity in one place. Like a lot of people in the country know that stuff happened on January 6th. So I think if if you make a politically framed argument around poll numbers, it's going to get precisely nowhere in Trump's case. And then finally, Josh, after today and the arraignment, what are you looking for next in this case? I think the most significant thing I'm looking for in the near future is the schedule. I mean, how is this going to work? Some of Trump's allies are saying, you know, oh, this will be great because he can subpoena people to testify who will back up his concerns about the 2020 election. But when are they going to testify? I mean, is Trump going to propose to have a fast trial in this case? And if so, when does he want to do it? You know, you get in front of a federal judge and it's sort of put up or shut up time. It's my experience that generally speaking, um, defense lawyers end up going in and saying we need more time to prepare. So to me, one of the key questions here that we're going to be looking for is going to be how do you juggle the fact that he faces this Stormy Daniels hush money trial in New York State Court early next year? I think that's set for March. Then he faces the trial set down in Florida on the classified documents case in May. And as you know, Ryan, the possibility that there'll be a fourth case against Trump out of Georgia for interference in their portion of the presidential election. How are they going to weave this between the various Republican primaries and debates? How much do judges and prosecutors and defense attorneys think the court should take notice of those events? We haven't really gotten a clear answer, I think, in either of those other pending cases. It can't be said enough. We're just in totally uncharted waters when it comes to this. Josh, thank you very, very much. Great to chat with you, Ryan. One more thing today, Politico has a new podcast. Politico Tech is your daily download on the disruption that technology is bringing to politics and policy. Today, Stephen Overly interviews Republican Senator Todd Young, who is one of three senators that Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has picked to form a bipartisan plan for dealing with AI. You can find Politico Tech wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Ryan Lizza. Thanks for listening. Americans count on oil and natural gas. Made moved, and improved by nearly 11 million workers and suppliers in all 50 states, contributing trillions to communities and the U.S. economy. From Pennsylvania to California, America's natural gas and oil workforce strengthens our nation. Our economic outlook is brighter when we lead on energy, with Washington policies that encourage American energy investment and development. 